Go ahead and open up to Genesis 41. If you didn't, we'll be going through Genesis 41 tonight, just walking through that. Let me see if, uh, if you guys can push the little box that's in the window there, um, see if my clicker can catch on to it. There we go. Thank you. Talking about the rise of Joseph on our Sunday nights this fall, walking through Joseph. Uh, tonight is the night that it all comes together. And my goodness, it's been a frustrating trip already. Uh, I don't know what the best day is you've ever had. Uh, it's hard to imagine a better one than the one we get to see Joseph have tonight. And what makes it even better is what he's been through along the path. came across some quotes this week that I think are good. This is the book that, um, that we've been using as a, as a resource along the way. The first sentence of the chapter that talks about Genesis 41, Swindoll says this, Pain when properly handled, can shape a life for greatness. And that's how he starts his chapter. I want you to notice every part of that. Pain can produce something better, but when? When it's properly handled. And that's the problem. We don't always handle it properly. Uh, but if we do, if we do, it can produce even better things in our life. Joseph has sure shown that. Came across this recently in a, another source. Uh, this is a... A book that was written in Chinese about 300 B.C. And it just shows me you don't have to even read the Bible to see how bad things can produce good things in us. But this is what it says. It says, old Chinese statement for, about something. When heaven is going to give a great responsibility to someone, it first makes his mind endure suffering. It makes his sinews and his bones experience toil and his body to suffer hunger. It inflicts him with poverty and knocks down everything he tries to build. In this way, heaven stimulates his mind, stabilizes his temper, and develops his weak points. Even those that don't believe in the Bible would say, if you just look around at life, you can see how sometimes going through those difficult times builds some things that you just couldn't have built otherwise. And as we've watched Joseph these last few weeks, my goodness, we've seen a series of things go wrong. We saw Joseph at the young age of 17, who had been his father's favorite. We see everything fall apart when his brothers take him away. They were going to kill him, if you remember at first. They sell him into slavery, sell their own brother into slavery. We saw him go to Potiphar's house. We saw Potiphar's wife uh, first try to, try to lie with him and, and get him to sleep with her and then lie about him, lie about him and get him in trouble, get him thrown in prison. Then we saw last week him helping the cupbearer and the baker at some way, somewhere along the way. Joseph must have been shown by God that he could interpret dreams. And so when the cupbearer and the baker had their dreams, Joseph said, hey, God handles those things. Why don't we see if I can help you? And he told the cupbearer, you're going to get back in your spot in three days. Please remember me when you do. But the last chapter, chapter 40, ends with the cupbearer forgetting about Joseph. So Joseph's had all this bad stuff happen to him, not of his own doing. In fact, one of, the, I think, the themes of our first three studies has been, sometimes we do the right thing and life does the wrong thing. That's just reality. Life is not always fair. Things don't always go the way they should. It's not always based on merit or, or who's better or who's more faithful. It's not the way life works. And at some point, we've got to realize that's the truth. Joseph has been trying to deal with that, no doubt, for 13 years. But here tonight at age 30, we're going to see it all come together. And guys, I'm going to have to ask you to advance it. If you go to the next slide for me, please. 
we'll, we'll walk through what we've always done. Go ahead and go to the next slide if you would. And we're going to walk through chapter 41 as we've done in all these. And then we're going to uh, see some four, four quick lessons from tonight. So let's walk through Genesis 41. The first part I've entitled Pharaoh's Dreams. Go ahead and bring it up. Thank you. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. Let me stop there just a second before we advance it. Two more years have gone by. And Joseph had been hoping, hadn't he? Cupbearer, when you get in that place, remember me. He was hoping this was his chance. And I don't think he had any idea what was going to happen was going to happen. But I think he's just thinking, I want to get back home. I want to find a way to get back to my parents. Just get me out of here. Tell Pharaoh about me. Do me a favor. Surely you have some pull with Pharaoh. Get me out of here. Two full years go by. Perhaps Joseph has given up on that. I sure would have. But verse 2, it goes on. It says, And lo, from the Nile, and this is Pharaoh's dream, There came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows, and then Pharaoh awoke. Let me stop there a second. I think I'd heard this story a million times in my life. Um, It wasn't until, I guess, this last week that I really thought about what a jarring dream that must have been. Now, you hear about in kids' Bible class, there were the cows, then the small cows ate the big cows. If you had a dream about these ugly cows eating, think about that, eating these big cows, that's like the type of thing you see in a, in a horror film or the, the advertisement for a horror film, if you don't watch those things. The type of thing you say, whoa, I don't want to see that. I can imagine Pharaoh woke, waking up and saying, wow, what in the world? Like that was a scary image to watch these small cows just swallowing, attacking and swallowing these bigger cows. So you can imagine why this dream Stood out. But then he has another dream as it goes on to verse 5. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And again, you see anything eating something else in your dream? And these are... These are ears of, this, of the grain. I mean, it's not like this is even an, an object, an animal, or a person that would be eating something. This is, a, this is a plant, essentially, that's eating another plant. Again, I imagine myself waking up and thinking, what in the world? Like, I, I'd be walking around the house thinking I'm hearing noises and scared to go back to sleep. Maybe you've had nights like that before. That's the type of night I picture Pharaoh going through. And in verse 8, it says, now in the morning his spirit was troubled. So he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. That's interesting, by the way. They had people who were set up to be the wise men, who were set up to be the, the magicians. Sounds like they're not even making a guess. Um, you know, we have those little books you could buy from time to time, Interpretation of Dreams. I don't know if you ever looked through those. They're sort of, sort of silly, and maybe you've flipped through them and thought, well, I guess that's as good a guess as any. But, uh, but they didn't even make a guess. There, nowhere in their little book did it say, 
if cows eat other cows, <laughs> this is what it means. Or if the grain eats the other grain, this is what it means. And so they're honest enough at least to say, we don't know. We don't know. So in the next section here in the chapter, the cupbearer finally remembers. After two full years, he finally remembers. You say it's about time, right? Well, here in verse 9, it starts off, uh, and I guess you can imagine him there, standing there, right? He's standing there next to Pharaoh, and here's Pharaoh telling everybody about his dreams, and he thinks, wait a second, I, that's how I got here. I was in prison, and there was this guy, and he told me my dreams. So then, then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses, which is a nice way of saying, uh, I've, I've been dumb with all this. I apologize that I haven't remembered until now. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, he says. He put me in confinement in the house of the captain and the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him. And he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. So he looks back and it finally clicks. I forgot. And I, I wish I knew if like there was a real forgetting or if there was a forgetting in the sense that he just didn't do what he had said he would do or what Joseph asked him to do. Like Maybe he got back in his spot and he thought... Well, it's not time to be asking for favors. You know, I almost, I've been in prison. It's not time to say, hey, thank you for bringing me back. Now, there's this guy I met. Can you get him out of prison too? It probably didn't feel right. I can imagine myself feeling that way. But it just hits him that if you want to know about dreams, there's something we saw in prison that you just can't do by yourself. And so you need to get this Hebrew kid out of there, and you need to talk to him. So let's go on to the next section then. He's brought before Pharaoh. Can you even imagine... After all that Joseph's been through, I've said several times along the way, at what point do you lose hope? At what point do you say, you know, things just aren't going to work out for me the way I thought they would? At what point does Joseph say, I had those dreams of my own when I was a kid, when my my parents, the sun, moon, the stars were bowing down to me. Maybe that means I was going to be something important in my family. Maybe that means I was going to do something great back home, but... Boy, I just need to get back home. I don't know what he thought the dreams meant. I don't know if he's given up on all that. If he could interpret dreams at some point through God's help, maybe God had told him something. But it's just another day in prison to Joseph. The cupbearers forgot him like everybody else. Surprise, surprise. People aren't going to help me out at all. Just another day in prison. No doubt going around talking to the guys like you see him doing in the last chapter. Maybe helping people out with whatever their problems were for the day. And this is going to be the type of whirlwind, Cinderella-type day um, that I can't even imagine the rush of what's happening that must have gone through Joseph. And on this part, we're just going to read a few of the verses. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. They hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And apparently they looked at him and they said, You're not going into Pharaoh looking like that. So before he gets to go see Pharaoh after a few years in prison, it doesn't surprise us, He shaves, he's got to shave, he's got to change his clothes, and then they can bring him in to Pharaoh. And at what point do they tell him what's happening? Do they tell him what's happening? If they they just rush into the prison, here's people that work for Pharaoh. Who's the guy that 
that told dreams. Uh, is it you? Yeah, I, think, I guess that's me. You're coming with us. Okay, you're going to see Pharaoh. Shave, change your clothes. Boy, there's got to be those moments of nervousness, of wondering uh, what's going on. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, so he's, he's looking into the eyes of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the whole world at this time. After all he's been through, he's, he's rushed in, and I'm sure this is the nicest room he's ever been in in his whole life. And there on the throne, or next to it at least, is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, as you walk in, he's got a question for you. I've had a dream and no one can interpret it. I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Um, I'd have been scared at that, at that moment. Even if God had helped me do it in the past, I think there'd been part of me that thought, oh God, I hope you're going to help this go well with me today. You know, there'd, there'd have been some, some background prayers going on in my mind. Um, I don't know if he was continuing to interpret dreams. I don't know if he thought, well, that was a couple of years ago that God helped me with that. Uh, you don't want to upset the most powerful person in the world. You don't want to disappoint him either. So what does Joseph say in verse 16? Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So in some way, Joseph knew God, God will give the answer. Again, I wish I knew. There's a story behind the story. I wish I knew how Joseph knew through God he could interpret dreams. But God had given him that ability and that message at some point. And so in the rest of these verses that we won't read, we'll hop and skip over. Pharaoh tells him about the dreams. He tells him about the cows and how they ate the other cows. He tells him about the, the ears of grain, how they ate the other ears of grain. And then the next section I've got here, you have the interpretation. And don't, know, don't miss this. And advice. And advice. Uh, I might not have been so courageous as to go ahead and give Pharaoh what he needs to do. After all, he's Pharaoh, and you're the guy that's been running the prison for the last few years as a prisoner. Um, but Joseph does both. And so let's see what he says, starting in verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are also seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. So then he's going to put them together. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. Now, if Joseph, let's just stop here for a second. If Joseph had not known this through God's help, and if Pharaoh had not known this through God's help, what are we all tempted to do in times when things are great? We think they're always going to be great. They're always going to be like this. Wow, things are going good. We're just, we as a nation, you can imagine Egypt saying that in the seven years that were coming. Look at all we've got. It's always going to be this good. Year after year after year, we just keep having these great harvests. Things are always going to be wonderful. If you didn't know, you'd sure treat that seven years differently than they were going to. But he goes on in verse 31, he says, So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine. 
for it will be very severe. No matter how great those seven years are going to be, when you hit that second seven, you're not even going to remember the first seven. It's going to be that bad. And we're going to find out in the coming, uh, the coming chapters, the coming lessons. It didn't take long. It didn't take too many years. It wasn't like year six where they started hurting. It was year one and two where they started hurting, where people were coming from other nations to say, we need help. Uh, the famine, just as God said, it was going to be bad. So he goes on, verse 32, As for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action. And notice this is the advice part. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. And notice verse 37. The proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and all his servants. So as Joseph is telling this, he tells what the dreams mean, and then he says, now here's what you need to do. You need to find somebody to run this, and you need people over the land, and and take a fifth, take 20% of everything you get in these next seven years, and just set it aside. You need to build stuff, you need to find places to put all this. Uh, Imagine those things weren't just sitting around. You need to find places to put all this, because when those seven years hit, you're going to need... You're going to need that reserve that you've set aside. And to their credit, Pharaoh and the the other servants, um, at least it doesn't sound like anybody spoke up and said, now look, we've had all our wise men come in here and they didn't know what was going on. Why in the world should we listen to you? That, That didn't seem to happen. In fact, that's been pretty consistent with Joseph. Everywhere he's gone, there was something about Joseph that you could see God working in him. Potiphar saw it. Potiphar could see that God was blessing what he was doing. The guy who was in charge of the prison could see that God was blessing what he was doing. And they trusted him. And Pharaoh, in this short conversation, very quickly comes to trust, and the servants, they come to trust Joseph. This guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. And so in the last section I've got here for this chapter, Pharaoh appoints Joseph. I hope we won't skip over in your mind just how big a step of confidence that was. Surely there are other people in the kingdom of Egypt who would be expected, if if Pharaoh's appointing somebody to help run the land of Egypt, people are thinking, hey, that's got to be me, or that's got to be him. Surely he's the the next most important person. Someone's feelings were probably going to get hurt here by what Pharaoh decided But look what Pharaoh does, starting in verse 38. Pharaoh says to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Again, that consistent theme. He could see God in Joseph. Are we going to find anybody better than this guy? He goes on in verse 39. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. And notice Pharaoh puts the credit where it is. Just as Joseph stood up and said, It's not in me, but God can do some things. Pharaoh says, I see that God's put it in you, so because of that, you're wise and discerning. 
You shall be over all my house, which may mean, uh, may mean over all the, the government, if you want to call it that, the, the government of Egypt that Pharaoh ran. And according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And by the way, about this moment, I think I would have passed out <laughs> if I were Joseph. I, they, I would have went smack down, broken nose, on the floor. Uh, somebody help this guy. <laughs> Maybe just take him back to prison. He'll think it's all a dream. Can you imagine the rush of what is happening here? You just got up in prison this morning, sleeping on whatever hard mat you've been sleeping on for years. Just, just, trying, to, just trying to hang on, just trying to make it through another day. And all of a sudden, you're whisked off to Pharaoh, and, and, and you got this dream, and now Pharaoh says, I'm putting you in charge of the whole thing. Probably part of us that would think, I don't know if I'm up to that. Um, I mean, I haven't been running anything like that ever. I, I've run Potiphar's household, and I've run the prison, but you expect me to run the, the country, the, the, the plan to save the country? Um, you're in charge, Joseph. You're in charge of it all. And he's got to be, it's got to feel like a dream to him. Verse 42 says, Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. That ring is how rulers would, would stamp the laws that they made or, or stamp whatever rule or change was being done. That, that ring would stamp it. Joseph, here's the ring. You have command over Egypt. It says he clothed him in garments of fine linen. Um, Joseph had that special coat as a kid, didn't he, as a teenager? Had that coat of many colors. My guess is it wasn't anything near as nice as this was. This, this was clothing he'd never seen before. Put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot. It's interesting to me that Pharaoh had, I guess, the first chariot. And then there was a second chariot. I guess you parked that in the, in the other garage. But, but there's the second chariot. And so he puts him in the, the second chariot, which is no doubt extremely nice, but not as nice as the first chariot. And so he rides him in the second chariot before all the people there in Egypt. And the people, as they are going through, they're proclaiming before him, bow the knee. And again, you're Joseph thinking, what is happening today? And they set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph. He gives him an Egyptian name. Um, maybe that was to, uh, to keep the people happy. I don't know. Maybe the people might have thought, hey, who's this guy? He's not even from our country and you're putting him in charge of all of us. I'm not sure all the rationale behind it. But he gives him a name that, that I'll let you do your best to pronounce that for yourself. And so he gives him this name. And, and I suppose that for a long time we know him as Joseph. But Joseph would walk in and perhaps the Egyptians very commonly called him according to this Egyptian name. He gave Joseph a wife. A senath is as good a guess as any the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. So you got this, this well-known priestly family, and he gives one of their daughters to Joseph to sort of complete that uh, part. You're becoming part of us. You're becoming part of the Egyptian culture. You're becoming part of elite culture. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Verse 46 tells us that Joseph was 30 years old. You remember he was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He's now 30. 
A lot of times in America today, we refer to those times, probably not correctly, but sometimes refer to those, some of the, some of the best years of your life, those late teens, those 20s, um, special times of life, a lot going on in there. Joseph lost all that because of other people. And now here he is 30 years old when all this happens, and he's over all the land of Egypt. Before we go to the lessons, I think my first order of business, if it were a bad day for me spiritually, I think my first order of business would have been, um, let's get rid of Potiphar's wife. Let's bring her in. There's some things we need to say to her. Let's uh, let's get a new cupbearer. How about that? We we need to say some things to the cupbearer that let me down. Um, Wouldn't you be tempted to use your power to get back at all the people that had held you back and had hurt you for so long? You don't see any of that in Joseph. You never see it. The closest you get, we'll see in a few weeks, his brothers come and he, he... And I think there may be some good motives behind what he's doing. Doesn't tell him who he is and plays a few little games with him. I think we'll see whether you can decide for yourself, whether there's even some good motives behind that. You don't see anything like, I'm going to show those people. Joseph was able to rise above a lot of things we would have struggled with. But this whirlwind of a day leaves Joseph in charge of all the land of Egypt, uh, the guy who's been through so much. Let's look at a few lessons that we'll notice tonight before we move on to next week and see how Joseph carries out this special role that he's given. Number one, a big, 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 big part of faith is the ability to wait. I guess you know this. Joseph hasn't read the book of Genesis. He doesn't have it. He doesn't know how this story ends. He didn't know this day was coming. Uh, if he had ever dreamed of something like it, he'd probably given up on it a long time ago. He wasn't just saying, you know what, if I can just, if I can just keep doing my prison thing, one of these mornings, one of these mornings, those guys are going to come in and they're going to take me to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's going to give me his ring and I'm going to be in charge of all of it. I'm going to ride in the second chariot and I'm going I'm to have all this in front of me. I doubt Joseph is thinking that. What he's doing though, he's, he's perhaps waiting on something. He's just consistently serving God Just think about all the people in the Bible that such a big part of their journey of faith was waiting. Moses, for 40 years in Midian, between the time he was 40 years old when he thought, this is the moment God's going to help me lead my people, and they chase him out of Egypt 40 years later. 40 years, not 40 minutes, not 40 seconds, not a chapter reading like we get to do. 40 years of waiting, and then God shows up in the burning bush. But Abraham, God comes to Abraham, you're going to have a son. Years go by, God has to even tell him again, you're still going to have the son. God, are you sure I'm going to have the son? You're still going to have the son. 24 years till they're pregnant, 25 until that son gets here. But Noah, Noah wants you to build a boat. 100 years of working on that boat. 100 years of waiting. So much of our faith is going to be, can we wait on God? We're not good at waiting. I'm not. I'd like things to happen quickly. I'd like the story to move along. I want to rush past the the painful parts. I want to rush past the waiting parts. I want want life to be a victory parade, if at all possible. A lot of times life does not feel like a victory parade. It's a waiting, a waiting for God to eventually fulfill all the promises that He's made. Isaiah 40, verse 31, might be some of your favorite verse in the Bible. 
Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. But before you get to that great strength part, what comes first? Waiting. Waiting. Doesn't mean that one day uh, Pharaoh's men are going to show up and all of a sudden we'll have this Cinderella swoop into everything we've always wanted. What it does mean is in those times where I don't know where things are going, that I'm able to just stay with God. Stay with God. And eventually I'll get to see what I was waiting on, even if it's after this life is over. Second thing I've got tonight, faithfulness eventually rises to the top. Every time I read through Joseph's story, I always think, what if he would have bailed out? What if the day before, what if yesterday, he finally decided, I'm sick of waiting. I'm sick of everybody who doesn't care about God getting all that they want to get in life. And here I'm still stuck because of all these people that have hurt me. It's not fair and it's not right. And God, I'm out. Never would have seen the blessings come together. What if he'd have done it 10 years ago in Potiphar's household? Hey, God hadn't taken care of me. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do what I think is fun in life. And if Potiphar's wife wants to run around, I'll run around with Potiphar's wife. I'm just going to do what I want to do in life. What if he would have bailed out any step along the way? Never would have seen the blessing come together. Faithfulness eventually rises to the top. I wish I could tell you it's always going to rise to the top here in life. The Bible doesn't promise us that. But Psalm 37 is one of my favorite psalms. It's, uh, it's my pouting psalm, one of them. If, if you have those days where you're pouting, uh, Psalm 37 is a great one to pull out. You can flip the numbers. Psalm 73 is another great one to pull out on those days where you feel frustrated by the world, frustrated by life and its unfairness. But he starts off Psalm 37 by saying, Do not fret. What a great word. It comes up a few times in Psalm 37. Do not fret. Because of evildoers, be not envious toward wrongdoers. In other words, as you look around at the world and you see its unfairness, and you see the people who don't seem to care about God getting all that they want to get, and you're, you're tempted to say, maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Uh, may, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just playing games here. Uh, may, maybe, this isn't, maybe this isn't what I think it's going to be. He says, don't fret because of evildoers, because something will eventually happen. There will be eventually this sorting out of rights being made wrong. They will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. You just keep trusting. You just keep doing good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. You just keep building faithfulness in your life. Don't worry about building all the stuff people are chasing. You keep building faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And if that doesn't happen here, it's sure going to happen in that promised place where God has said everything we, we really want in our heart of hearts on our better days is all going to come together with God and His people in eternity. Faithfulness will eventually rise to the top. Don't jump off the train because you see other people going different directions. Don't jump off the plan and say, God, I'm just not staying in anymore. If you don't see it coming together as quickly as you want, faithfulness eventually rises to the top. Number three, always give God the glory. I love that Joseph comes in before Pharaoh and he doesn't try to make himself look good. 
This isn't his chance to make a great first impression, to make Pharaoh think how amazing he is. He, he says, I don't interpret dreams, but God does. He's giving God the glory. Again, that's, that's as countercultural as anything we have in the Bible. We are taught today, consciously or subconsciously, that you need to promote yourself. That you need to push yourself out front. You need to, you need to try to convince people how great you are. You're selling yourself is what you're doing to the world. And so now we got all these great ways to do it. we got, we got Facebook and Instagram and then everything in between that a lot of it, if we're not careful, can become a big, a big self-promotion, a big life self-promotion. Jesus had a different idea of that. He said, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Jesus had this crazy idea, and it runs throughout the whole Bible, that if you will just let God handle that stuff, God will decide who needs to be lifted up and who doesn't. But the, the path is not, how can I lift myself up? That's a self-centered, that's a self-focused, that's a pushing God out path of life. And we're tempted to jump into it. Jesus says, don't exalt yourself. The Proverbs, proverb we read a couple weeks ago, Proverbs 27, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Don't, don't be praising yourself. I think we all know those people who spend a lot of time praising themselves. A stranger and not your own lips. We're not supposed to be people of self-promotion. We're supposed to be people who realize everything we have, all the, all the good qualities we have, they come from God. They don't come from us. Whatever good things, whatever good qualities, it's all from God. Let's make sure we're always giving God the glory, giving God the thanksgiving, never pretending that it's, it's me that's done this. It, it's, it's me picking myself up by my bootstraps. It's my wisdom. It's my smarts. It's my, 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 my. Let's always remember what we do have that's good. It comes from God. And then number four, I love the confidence of following God. Can you imagine if on a day you sure weren't ready for it, you were drug in to talk to the most powerful person on earth? I picture myself maybe being unable to talk, or if forced to talk, not talking very well. Um, I don't picture the calm, humble, but confidence that Joseph is able to show here before Pharaoh. It just reminds me, as people of God, there's this unique biblical perspective. While there's a humility that's encouraged, we know it's not from us, we know it's not from us, at the same time, it's not fear. Humility and fear are not the same thing. Humility and weakness are not the same thing. Humility and, and, and low self-esteem are not the same thing. There's a confidence here that Joseph is able to confidently speak to Pharaoh. Why is he so able to do that? I think it's when you have a right relationship with God, cuts out a lot of the fear stuff that you might be tempted to have. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? I hope you and I, as people of God, We'll never let people scare us. We'll never let people intimidate us. To be able to speak calmly, humbly, but confidently. Because when we walk into the room, God walks in with us if we're right with Him. Let's make sure we stay with Him 
And there's a confidence in facing life, even when you don't know the answers, because we don't. There's a confidence in facing life when you know you're trying to walk with God. Let's make sure we keep that right relationship with God. Tonight, if you don't have that right relationship with God, come to God. As that verse just said, God is our light. God is our salvation. Let God save you tonight if your soul has sinned like all of ours has and you haven't made it right with Him. If you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ tonight, you might be asking yourself, what do I need to know to do that? If you believe Jesus is God's Son, if you're ready to start living for Him, that's about all they knew in Acts chapter 2 when Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're here tonight and you believe in Jesus and you're ready to try to live for Him, God will help you along that path. The church will help you along that path. Be baptized into Christ tonight. If you're here tonight and you feel like you've been walking on your own. You haven't been walking with God. You haven't been walking in a way that's been faithful to Him. You've jumped off the train at some point, whether it's sin or frustration. Come back to the Lord. If you can do that privately between you and God, do it between you and God. But if we can pray for you tonight, we'd love to do that. If we can help you in any way, I invite you to come to the front now while we stand, while we sing. Lift up your voice.